Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Begin with a chant. Namo Deviyai Mahadeviyai Shiva Hayoi Satatam Namaha Lama Prakritiyai Padra Hayoi Niyata Pranata Smatam Salutations to the Devi, to the Divine Mother of the Universe. Salutations always to her who is auspicious. Salutations to her who is the primordial cause, to her who is gracious. With mind's intent, we bow to her. Om peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Thank you for coming out. I'm sorry it's kind of chilly in here. I'll talk about Mother and that'll warm our hearts. So we're now in the season of the Divine Mother. And we already celebrated here Durga Puja. And then after Durga Puja in Hollywood, we celebrated Kali Puja. And then after the Kali Puja itself, then after that, a few days after that, usually it's a week after, we immerse the image of Kali in, in the oceans of the Pacific, or Balboa Island, I should say. And then at the end of this month, we had actually Jagadatri Puja, who is an aspect of Durga, and it's the big celebration in Sacramento. It's also the big celebration in many of our centers in India. And for Jagadatri, is the aspect of Durga as the ruler and the protectress of the universe. She's the support and the protectress of the universe. In the Chandi, this great hymn to the Divine Mother, the Devi Mahatmya, we read, O Queen of the Universe, you protect the universe. As the self of the universe, you support the universe. You are the goddess worthy to be adored by the Lord of the universe. Those who bow in devotion to you themselves become the refuge of the universe. It's so glorious. So for a number of us in the Ramakrishna order and the Vedana societies, this Jagadatri Puja, the Jagadatri Durga, has a special resonance for us because in our, at least here in Southern California, in our daily worship of Sarada Devi, there's a, a line that's said in the worship, salutations to Sri Sarada Devi, who is the Jagadatri Durga. So there is there very clear association between Sarada Devi, Holy Mother, and this aspect of Durga, Jagadatri, who is the protectress and the support of the whole universe. And Holy Mother herself inaugurated this puja in Jairambati, her village, and it's celebrated in many places now, but she celebrated it every year, and it was celebrated with, with great joy and great fervor. And, and she herself would, would do so much of the work, and it was like, it was such a great occasion because it seemed like the goddess herself had come down to earth, taking human form, to celebrate and worship herself. It was just such a, a beautiful thing. So we continue with our season of the Divine Mother, when on December 9th this year, we, we have the, the puja of Sarada Devi, Holy Mother, another aspect of the Divine Mother. And then the season continues all the way to Christmas. We not only worship the baby Jesus and the incarnation of Christ, but we also worship his feminine counterpart, Mother Mary, who is a very powerful aspect of, of Shakti, the Divine Mother that came along with Jesus to give these great teachings to the world. Mary, too, is Shakti, and her wisdom and power can illuminate our spiritual understanding. So while the rest of the world is engaged in 63 shopping days till Christmas, 
and listening to these rage-inducing Christmas jingles at the mall. Instead, we can kind of pull back from that and think about the teachings of Jesus, and we can think about Mary, the divine mother who came with Jesus to impart knowledge and wisdom to the world. There's a wonderful song that we sing in budgets, uh, you know, the, the singing that we do often on, on Sundays before the lecture. And this song was written by Swami Chandikananda, who was a disciple of Holy Mother Sarda Devi. And the, there's a line in it that goes, Jaya Saradeshwari, Sita Radha Mata Mary, Mother Mary, Yashodara Vishnu Priyama. All these wonderful aspects, these shaktis who accompanied the incarnation. It's like salutation to the Divine Mother in all these sacred feminine aspects who come with the avatar, the divine, who is, they both assume human form. So it's really important to really listen to both aspects of the incarnation, both the avatar and the shakti who comes with the avatar. Now, as all of you know, in the Hindu tradition, Brahman is this infinite, all-pervading existence. It's the basis of all existence. It is existence, consciousness, and absolute joy. The deepest part of ourselves, the Atman, is one with Brahman. But Brahman is beyond speech and mind, beyond our understanding, beyond our ability to comprehend. Brahman's beyond gender. Brahman has no gender. Brahman simply is. Brahman is isness itself, consciousness itself. But how can we connect with this ineffable, transcendent reality with the limitations inherent in this very small operating machine here. It can only take in so much. We're limited by the inherent limitations of the human mind. And this is where we can connect to the Divine Mother. Because the infinite and transcendent can be grasped when the Divine takes a tangible form that we can love and have a relationship to. So this is where we get to the wisdom of the Divine Mother. Now I know here we're used to thinking in terms of Brahman and Atman and consciousness and absolute existence. And then I thought, well, today let's just bring it down a notch. And I thought, wait a minute. Talking about the Divine Mother is not bringing it down a notch. It's bringing it out. It's not bringing it down. Because Sri Ramakrishna said that Brahman is one with Shakti. He said the one who is Brahman is also Shakti. That Brahman is called Shakti when engaged in creation, preservation, and destruction. When Shakti is inactive, then we call it Brahman. It's two sides of the same coin. So we can't say, no, I like Brahman, but don't deal with Shakti. It's like, Sri Ramakrishna said, it's like fire and the power to burn. You can't separate it. So today, we're just going to glide over the fire, and we're going to go right to the power to burn. And then you say, okay, yawn. Why am I here? I could be at the mall. I could be watching some TV. I could be watching a nice video of Swami Sarvapiananda or <laughs> doing something. How is this possibly relevant to my life? And that is where the wisdom comes in. Because everything that we talk about and teach about in Vedanta is absolutely 100% relevant to our lives. Everything is applicable to our lives. What we have to do on our end is we have to understand it and then apply it. And that's where the hard part comes in.
We might know these things, but the wisdom actually has to be applied. And that is where Shakti comes in, this applicable, usable wisdom that can really transform our lives if we make the decision that that's actually what we want to do, if we want something more in our lives. And again, so how is this relevant? Well, we were talking about the Shakti, the Divine Mother deals in the realm of creation, preservation, and destruction. And we're dealing with that every day of our lives. Every day, we're, we're all born, okay, we've all taken birth, and then through the rest of our lives, we're dealing with preservation. We are trying to hold on to all these things that we hold dear. We're trying to hold on to the body, to the mind. We want to hold on to our creativity, to our energy, to our prana, to our life force. And we are clawing to hold on to it. But the truth is creation, preservation, and destruction. So all these things that we're holding on to are inevitably moving towards decay and death. No matter how much we, how, how hard we hold, no matter how much we sit and do all the right things, they are inevitably moving towards decay and destruction. And all this is in the realm of the Divine Mother. I always think of the words of Swami Asheshananda, Holy Mother's great disciple, who never tired of quoting the Buddha, saying, all compounded matter is bound to decay. It's like the cheery thought for the day. <laughs> Thank you, Swami. <laughs> I feel much better. <laughs> but it's like it's true. Whatever is compounded will decay. What is uncompounded? The real us, the Atman. The rest is in the realm of the Divine Mother. She is the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. We all come from her. We all go back to her. All of us have this yearning for immortality. All of us have this longing for freedom. We have this longing, above all, for completion, for, for wholeness. We have a longing for love, for the perfect love. And that is because we long for wholeness. We feel incomplete, and we think this other person is somehow going to complete us, which, of course, can't happen because all compounded matters bound to decay. Nothing or no one can make us more full and complete than we already are. We're already full and perfect. The transcendent reality is our own nature. But because we identify with that which is changing, which is the body and the mind, we will inevitably suffer as much as we identify with that. Because the body and the mind are subject to birth, disease, and death. That means that we will inevitably, we can't hold on to this thing forever, no matter how Botox we use, no matter how much yoga and Pilates we engage in, it's going to go south. The mind is subject to moods, it's subject to grief, up and downs, despair, and eventually it's going to wear out and we become the person in the rest home kind of chewing our cud. And it's all okay. Creation, preservation, and destruction. All forms of whatever is living goes through that. We somehow don't think it's going to happen to us. But the body and mind do. The real us, no, it doesn't happen to. So all this is in the realm of the Divine Mother. So because we hold on to the body and mind and think that's the real us, 
instead of identifying with the real us, which is the Atman. Because of that, we inevitably suffer. We in inevitably are ridden by fear that we're going to lose what we have. And then we're in grief when it's taken away from us. It doesn't seem fair. But in fact, we all know from looking at everyone else around us, this is exactly what happens. This is where we need to turn to the Divine Mother who was always there for us. The Chandi says, Oh, Mother, when we remember you, when we are in times of distress, you remove fear from every being. And when we remember you with a tranquil mind, you give us even greater serenity of mind. This is why we need to approach the Divine Mother and seek our refuge there. Of course, without a doubt, it's absolutely critical for all of us to remember our real nature. Every day, at all times, we should remember, my real nature is Brahman. My nature is the infinite. Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. My real nature is unborn and undying. I am not affected by all this change. The body will change. The mind will change. I will never change. We have to remember this great verse from the Chandogya Upanishad, Sarvam Kalvidam Brahma. All this is indeed Brahman. All this is Brahman. We think it's we're experiencing broken pieces of reality. No, it's all reality, and it's all Brahman. We're experiencing the divine at all times. We absolutely need to remember that so we can keep our center. So when we're affected by the buffets and, and storms of life, we remember, no, nothing out there can affect me. Nothing can ever take away what's really mine, and that's my divine nature. Nothing and no one can ever touch that. That's where our fearlessness comes from. At the same time, sometimes we just want a little more comfort in our lives. We want someone to talk to. We want someone to help us share the burdens of our life. And that's where the Divine Mother comes in. We want a tangible being that we can relate to and that will be there to listen to us. Because sometimes, as much as we know it, we do become troubled. We do become afraid. We do become overwhelmed by grief and fear. And that's why we turn to the Divine Mother. Because the relationship with the Divine Mother is inherently a very sweet and a very powerful relationship. You know, a father, a dad, can be kind of stern and judgmental. Not, I'm not pointing fingers here. But a dad can be stern and judgmental. They can be kind of the one who makes sure that you're doing the right thing. And the mom is going to be like, honey, it's okay. It's all right. She's going to be the one who pulls out and says, you know, when your dad's giving you a hard time, you check the credit card receipts. What the, what's that? What's that? Mom's going to say, honey, I just made some cookies. Come on. She'll hand you a 20 and say, dad's in a bad mood. Go out to a movie. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to him. Mom is going to have your back. She's going to believe you when no one else believes in you. She's going to have faith in you when everyone else has lost faith in you. She's going to have faith in you when you've lost faith in yourself. Our mother has that capacity. That is the nature of mothers. So the real sadness is that in the West, we, when we say divine plus mother in the same sentence, we kind of hit a brain freeze. It's like divine mother, what? Huh? I mean, I, I often sing in a choir, and people will say, do you pray up there? I say, yeah, we pray. Can, can you pray for something? Yes. Yeah, so, and well, pray that this happens. I say, well, you know, it's all up to the mother. What? 
except the Divine Mother. Ha, 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 ha. I'm not kidding. <laughs> they, they think it's some sort of a hilarious joke when you say, I'll pray to her. <laughs> but no. It's inbuilt in us as human beings to have this relationship with a mother, but somehow in the Western tradition, it's like it's, we, we got the patriarchal dude instead. So because God in the Abrahamic traditions, whether it is Yahweh or it is God the Father or Allah, it's always a masculine version, and these are the guys. Who, it's the rules and the commandments, and these. This is how we. This is how we relate often to this sort of a masculine aspect of God. You don't want to get on his bad side because he's, you know, keeping a list and checking it twice. You just want to be very careful. But in these Western traditions, you can have a female saint. Often, the Virgin Mary is is, is she's revered because she's Saint Mary. And of course, in, as you may or may not know, in the Quran, there's a whole chapter on Miriam, on Mary. But in all these traditions, she's no more than a saint, or at best, an, a mediator, an intercessor, so she can talk to Jesus. Okay, can you, can, can you be nice to this person? But at least officially, officially it's that way. Actually, when you go out to a, a cathedral, um, we were in Chartres years back. And in Chartres, this huge cathedral outside Paris. And there's, as you go in to this grand cathedral, there's a huge altar with a crucifix and a pieta that's very lovingly done, and there's nobody there. You know everybody is? They're over in the side chapel. There's uh, the Black Virgin, who's a statue about that big, and there's people crowded in there, and there's so many candles lit to her, you can feel the heat coming off the candles. And at her feet are all these notes to her, all these prayers, where people just sit, and the, the atmosphere there knocks your socks off. That's not officially in the church. They know where it is. You know why? Because as human beings, we have an affinity towards the feminine. All of us will have an affinity towards the idea of mother. But it wasn't always this way where it was like God is a he. In Egypt, the Divine Mother was worshipped as Isis. In Babylonia and Assyria, she was worshipped as Ishtar. In Greece and Rome, when they were on the verge of being sacked by Hannibal, they didn't pray to Mars, the god of war. They didn't pray to Jupiter, the king of the gods. No, they went to his mother. They went to Sibylle, the queen of the gods, the mother of all the gods. That's who they prayed to. You go to his mom. That's the one who's going to have the, the power. In the Jewish tradition, the feminine is worshipped as chokmah, wisdom. And in the ancient European tradition before Christianity, there was a very strong worship of the Divine Mother. And in fact, in archaeological digs, they're finding that the most revered objects were ancient mother goddesses, dating from 3500 BCE to 6000 BCE. It's quite astonishing. In fact, when Gloria and I went to Turkey a couple of years ago, we went to the National Museum in Ankara, and there was a image of the Divine Mother, 6,000 BCE. So this is, this is part of the human tradition to approach God in this way that's very approachable. In fact, the early Christians still had this mother worship coursing through their veins. So in the earliest prayers to Mary, you can still see the influence. The first prayer to Mary that's recorded is, we flee to your protection, O Holy Mother of God. In our needs, do not disdain our prayer, but save us at all times from all dangers. O glorious and favored virgin, our lady, mediator, and advocate. 
Now we can compare this to the Chandi, this great hymn of praise in, in uh, the Hindu tradition. O Devi, you who remove the sufferings of those who take refuge in you, be gracious. Be gracious, O Mother of the universe. Protect the universe. You are, O Devi, the ruler of all that is moving and unmoving. And I have to say that of all the translations of the Chandi, you have David Dutta's, David Nelson's, in praise of the goddess is absolutely lyrical, op- awesome. It will knock your socks off. So if you don't have it, you really ought to get it. It's it's just a joy. So mother worship has been with us, and it always will be with us. And it's sad that it's been kind of undervalued in the West because I think it has cost us. It has cost us as a culture. It has cost us as a Western way of thinking. Because God, as a male deity, ends up invoking more fear than love. And as Swami Vivekananda reminds us, fear and love are mutually incompatible. One cannot fear and love at the same time. A baby held to the mother's heart has no fear. We know we're warm and we're safe and we're exactly where we ought to be. The baby isn't thinking, oh my God, what if mom drops me? Never occurs. I'm warm and I'm safe and I'm exactly where I should be right now. And that is the same attitude, the same feeling we have with the Divine Mother. We are warm, we are safe, we are exactly where we should be at this point, being held wherever we are by the Divine Mother. Even when it's painful, even when we're ill, even when we're facing death, even when the universe seems to be crashing around our ears, we're being held. We are exactly where we should be, and Mother is holding us tight, holding us as we go through whatever we go through in this universe. We're not being thrown to the wolves ever at any time, so we're never being dropped. Held, protected, safe at all times. No doubt, the hardest aspect of the Divine Mother to deal with for Westerners, or even for half of India, is Kali, the aspect of the Divine Mother, the Black Goddess, who's both loving and fierce, tender and fearsome. She is as fierce and loving as only a mother can be. Because you know out there, you mamas, you know how it is to be a mama bear. You know how fierce that love can be. And if a thousand pound truck goes on your child, you have no doubt in your mind you're going to lift that up. You have no doubt that if your child is in danger, you are there and you are with your heads in the mouth of a lion to protect your child. That is what mothers do. And you men out there, you've got it in you too. You've got that mother power of that fierce protection who will face every danger to protect your child. We had years back a a wonderful seminar at UC Santa Barbara. They had this whole conference on the divine feminine. And scholars from all over the world came and it was held at UCSB and they asked Swami Swahananda to speak. And so at the end he was taking questions from the college students and the other participants. And this young woman said, I don't know how you can worship Kali as a mother. I mean, she's got this sword which has blood and fat on it. She's holding a severed head on her hand. How can you possibly worship that as mother? And he said, without missing a beat, he said, do you want a namby-pamby mother or do you want someone to protect you? <laughs> it was like, 
Right. <laughs> That's the kind of mother, because you, what's the use of having a mother if she doesn't protect you? That's the whole point. <laughs> I didn't even know I had a mama bear in me. I didn't even know that I had that. I was till I was walking my old dog up the Ladera extension. I was walking along, and she was 14 years old, old shepherd, kind of creaky, just like her mother. And so these other two dogs come in, and they separate us, and they push her out and run her off, and one is trying to get at her throat, and one is trying to disembowel her. I didn't know I had it in me. Man, I was screaming like a banshee, I'm going to kill you. And if I had, those dogs left very quickly because I was trying to tear their throats out with my hands. And there was no doubt in my mind that it would have happened because it brings on this fierce protection, which is just what Kali is. You know, Kali holds the sword with which she removes our ignorance. And the problem is we love our ignorance. We just find it so comfortable, and we're used to it, and it just feels so right. We don't like it when someone knocks off our ignorance with a sword, but it's the best thing for us. That human head that she's holding is the ego. And if we don't like our ignorance being touched, it's nothing like our ego being, we hate having our ego touched. It's the worst thing in the universe. How dare that person say that? How dare, didn't they realize? Very painful to have the ego Knocked here and there. But that's what the Divine Mother does. Just as our own mother won't, won't allow us to eat junk food or stay up to 3 o'clock in the morning, Mom, you're not being nice to me. It's like, no, I know what's best for you. Divine Mother knows what's best for us. It hurts to have the ego knocked. It hurts to have our ignorance taken away. But what is best for her children? That's what she cares about. She loves us more intently than we can ever love ourselves. That's what the Divine Mother is. The word Kali actually comes from the Sanskrit word Kala, which means time. And Kala, time, is the devourer of all things. Creation, preservation, and you know what's going to come next. It is destruction. Kala is the eater of all things. Everything that is born in time will die in time if we remain in time, which is why we always reassert our identity as the Atman, which is beyond time, beyond birth, death, beyond any form of time, beyond any form of cause and effect. Once a devotee came to Ramakrishna, his name was Himahima, and he said, sir, something is holding us back in our spiritual progress. Something is holding us back. And he said, what? Cut the reins. Cut the cut. He said, cut them with the sword of God's name. The shackles of Kala, time, are cut by Kali's name, Kala Kali. Cut those shackles. The shackles of time are cut by Kali's name. Kali is fierce as she destroys our ignorance. But her fierce love for her children is just what we need to get us through life's journey because life isn't easy, it's not serene, and it often doesn't seem to be very fair. It's a tough run. And anyone who says it's not simply hasn't lived long enough. It's not an easy go. Our Holy Mother, Sarda Devi, is also a manifestation of the Divine Mother. And she hid her divinity under this veil of simplicity and humility. She seemed, as Swami Prabhavanath, our founder, said when he first met her, he said, at first I thought she was a simple village woman. 
he he would bow down to her and he gets this electric shock when he touched his, his head to her feet. And he, he just did it because he was like a kid. He was like 12 or something. He liked the electric shock. <laughs> he didn't realize who she was. It's like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> it's kind of like the men's bathroom at the Madonna Inn. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> Swami Vivekananda wrote a letter to his brother disciple, Swami Shivananda, who was also a disciple of Ramakrishna. And he said to him, you have not yet understood the wonderful significance of mother's life. None of you. He's speaking about his own brother, disciples of Ramakrishna. He said, but gradually you will know. And we think, God, you know, if disciples of Ramakrishna don't even understand her, where are we in this mess? How are we ever going to understand her? Once Swami Hari Premananda, who was a disciple and an attendant of Holy Mother, he was there massaging her feet. She was old. And he was looking at this old shriveled foot. And he was saying, no, can this old shriveled foot belong to the Divine Mother? He had this doubt that crossed his mind. And just at that moment, he saw the foot transformed to something unutterably beautiful, golden, with golden anklets and jewels, pearls. He looked up, and instead of seeing the face of Holy Mother, instead he saw the goddess Jagadatri having all of her weapons and many arms and a jewel in her forehead and a third eye to be decked with flowers, and he lost consciousness. And when he looked up again, there she was, simple old woman taking care of her niece. This reminds us of like Krishna on the battlefield, uh, where Arjuna asked Krishna, please reveal your cosmic form to me. And he reveals his cosmic form. He goes unconscious, said, okay, I, want, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that anymore. Let, let me see you as my friend. Same thing, he got a glimpse, Hari Premananda got a glimpse of Holy Mother as the Divine Mother. Oh, you know, and all of us are going to remain ignorant of that for the most part. We're just going to know her as our mother. But when we're looking for the wisdom of the Divine Mother, I don't think the weapons and the jewels and the multiple arms are going to do us a lot of good, except to remind us that the simple village woman who was disguised in simplicity and humility really was the Divine Mother of the Universe. That beneath this disguise of simplicity and humility was this incredible force of divine power that she was able to manifest to remove ignorance from millions and millions of people as she continues to do today. Once her nephew was out walking from one village to another with her, and he stopped in the middle of the walk and said, Aunt, who are you? And she said, what do you mean? You know I'm your aunt. And he said, no, you tell me who you are. She said, come on, work. come on. No, he wouldn't move. She was pulling, he wouldn't budge. And he said, he said who are you? And she said, people say I am Kali. He said, is it so? Yes, she replied. And that gives us profound wisdom from the Divine Mother. None of us are incarnations or shaktis, manifestations like this. But neither are we mortal. Neither are we ordinary human beings. That's what we learn here. Inside of us is this immortal, divine, limitless being that we forget about. Our real nature is pure and perfect and eternal. We have infinite power within our hearts. We have this as our own real nature. Sri Ramakrishna used to say of Holy Mother that she's like a cat covered in ashes. People don't recognize her. She's covered in ashes. It's like we've forgotten ourselves. We identify with the ashes instead of the cat. It's like we have forgotten. It's like we're character actors who can't get out of character. It's like we won't get off the stage. No, we are limitless. We are pure. We are perfect. 
So when we think of her as she's disguised her, she disguised herself willingly. We have unwittingly disguised ourselves because we've forgotten our real nature. So again and again, we have to remind ourselves, who am I? I am not an ordinary being. I'm not mortal. I'm not subject. I have nothing to fear. I'm a child of the Divine Mother. I am immortal. Nothing can touch me. Sri Ramakrishna said about Holy Mother, she is Sarada, she is Saraswati. She is born to bestow her knowledge on others. And she will bestow her knowledge on us. She will give us freedom if we want it. She will remove our ignorance if we want our ignorance removed. She will give us freedom if we want to have freedom. The problem is, it's our choice. We have to make the choice to actually want it. If we don't want it, what can happen? We have to want it. She seems like such, um, you know, such an unlikely manifestation, such a simple woman, engaged day and night in activity, constantly serving other people, constantly taking care of other people, constantly working. But her work was very concise. It was concentrated. It was alert. It was efficient. Nine-tenths of her mind was indrawn, aware of her own divinity. The other one-tenth was in doing the work, serving others. Her work was flawless. In the Bhagavad Gita, we read, Yoga Karmausu Kaushalam. Yoga is skill in action. And that's another practical wisdom from the Divine Mother. She always worked, and she always said, one must do some work. She said, through work alone, we can remove the bondage of work, not through avoiding work. So that doesn't mean that being a workaholic is being spiritual. Just if I'm adding aholic, it means that there is some compulsion there. That isn't freedom. Doing work is not only important, Holy Mother said, because we have to do our work just because it's there. But she said it's also good for keeping the mind in good shape. Just as our bodies will lose tone if we don't use our bodies, our mind will lose tone if we don't do work of some sort. So she always kept busy, but her mind was always engaged in the divine. Her work was absolutely flawless and concentrated. She wasn't doing one thing, then another thing. It was like everything was smooth like oil. But she also taught that with our work, we have to balance it with meditation. Everything should be balanced. And she said that it was important to meditate every day. She said constant meditation will make the mind one-pointed. And that's really important because then the more we do it, the easier it becomes. The more we avoid it, the harder it becomes. And she made a point that regularity and consistency was extremely important. She said... It's necessary to meditate at least once in the morning and once at night. She said it's like the rudder of a boat. It keeps the boat going in the right direction. She said meditation is important. So is prayer and so is jobam. And we often think, oh, I don't have time to meditate. But what happens is we end up frittering away our time because our mind isn't being used efficiently. We lose concentration, and so we can't work well. We can't work efficiently because our mind is too scattered. The meditation keeps our mind directed and clean. So that when we work, our work is concentrated and perfect. And then we can move on. A thousand times of that, oh, I don't have time to meditate. After meditation, the work is so much easier. It just goes in a flow that we don't have before because 
our mind isn't under our control enough to be able to use it well. So this again is very practical wisdom from the Divine Mother. It's very important day and night to meditate, to do jobam, to repetition of the Lord's name, and to pray. Mother was a great advocate of Japa, this repetition of the divine name, the repetition of the mantra, the repetition of the holy name of God. And she said, just as children learn habits when they're children, people learn habits when they're children. You know, when you're a kid, you learn how to get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you wash your face. You know, you, you, you might learn to hate, to hate broccoli or whatever. But we learn these habits as children, and they continue our whole lives. We don't have to relearn how to ride a bike. We don't have to relearn how to wash our face. She said, just like that, we have to make the habit of japam, just like a child, because it's the very nature of the mind to form habits. It is the nature of the beast. It likes habits. It starts a groove, and the groove gets deeper and deeper, and it forms habits very easily. And so mothers saw that with this habit-making tendency of the mind, use it to our advantage instead of the mind using us for what it wants to do. She said, just see the power of habit. By the law of habit, a person attains realization through the continuous practice of japa, the repetition of the Lord's name. So if we can create a habit of having stupid songs going through our mind, or we can create a habit of having a, a continuing arguments that we that ended last year and you're, they're still going through our head, or habits of what we should have told the person the last time we saw them, or negative habits of thinking about ourselves. I'm like this. Why am I like that? Why am I doing that? I'm a bad person. I'm a, you know, I'm fat. I'm I'm ugly. I'm worthless. Instead of these habits, why not form the habit of chopping? When the song loops in our head and it won't leave us alone replace it with Japan. When we get a negative message criticizing ourselves or somebody else, insert Japan instead. Take out that cassette, put in a new one. Man, am I dating myself. Take out that CD. <laughs> put it in. She said, practice Japa. Through Japa, you will attain everything. I mean, that is a pretty much a blanket statement. It isn't like you're going to have a nice day, you're not going to have a better life, you don't, you don't make a lot of, you will attain everything. Everything, she said, through the practice of japam. It's like anyone can practice japam. Anytime, any day, anywhere, we can practice it. Lying down in the bathtub, we can, when we're walking down through the parking lot, we can practice japam. We can hear the mantra in our feet. We can hear the mantra in the sound of the cars. We can hear the mantra in the song of the birds. We can hear the mantra in the sound of the traffic going through on the freeway. We can hear the song of the mantra when we hear, we hear children playing. The more we listen to the mantra, the more we hear the mantra. We can hear it in every sound that comes, because they say every sound is actually part of the mantra. All sounds are divine. We take that thought, we use the mantra, and we use that to unlodge ourselves from ignorance. We use that as a bottle opener, get ourselves out of, out of bondage for freedom. Very easy practice. Wisdom, very practical wisdom from the Divine Mother. Mother taught us how to live the highest ideals of Adante in the simplest and most natural way. As you know, the essence of Adante is that Brahman alone is real. The world as we experience it with the changes is basically not, it's transitory, it's impermanent. Our real nature is that the Atman is one with Brahman.
That means that there is absolute unity between us all. That means there's only one infinite divine reality. It means there is no other. There is no other. There's no male or female. There's no black, white, red, yellow, golden, green. There isn't Republican or Democrat. There isn't immoral person or moral person. There isn't you or me. It's just us. It's just oneness. That is the essence of Adanta. The unity of existence, the oneness of all beings in and through divinity. All that we experience is Brahman. Sarvam Kalavidam Brahman. All this is Brahman. That means whether you see a person lying in the street or whether you see a king or whether you see a person you instinctively dislike, remember, it's maya. It's our own bondage-invoking material that we're putting on there. All this is indeed Brahman. Holy Mother Sarda Devi was able to see this and react to it in the most natural way possible. Her famous last message to the world, no one is a stranger, my child. The whole world is your own. That's nothing but the highest teachings of Adanta in such a simple way. No one is a stranger. There is no other. There is no us and them. Good people, bad people, the right-thinking people and wrong-thinking people. There's only us. And for Mother, it was nothing but her only relationship with others was seeing everybody as Mother, no matter who they were, no matter where they were on the socioeconomic status, no matter whether they were illiterate, no matter what religion they belonged to, no matter whether they were white or brown, whether they were English-speaking, Tamil-speaking, or Bengali-speaking, Hindi-speaking, it didn't matter to her. No matter whether they were immoral by other people's standards, she didn't care. She couldn't see anything but her own child. She was just mother, and they were her child. She never could reject anybody. And that's simply because of her being able to see that oneness of all existence in and through divinity. She was aware of the divinity while other people could see difference. She could only see divinity and only see people as her child. She literally saw others as manifest manifestations of the divine. And then because she saw that, she was able to treat them as her own children. And so I keep thinking, what if we just got a glimpse of that? If we got a glimpse of that where we really were aware, if we made the effort to see the divinity of others first before we became aware of difference. Swami Vivekananda said, we always see divinity first and then we see, then we see difference later. We're not aware of it because this has happened so fast. First we see divinity, then we pull back and see difference. If we could first see divinity and react to that, and then if we could do that and be able to treat others with that love and respect and kindness, or to see others as our children with that kind of tenderness and respect and holding in our hearts this person, no matter who they were, what a blessing our life would be to ourselves. And our life would be a blessing to everybody else, too. If we could even try, even try to do what Holy Mother did by instinct, what was her second nature to us, if we could even try to do that, what a blessing it would be. That would be real wisdom from the Divine Mother. So I pray that all of us can take the wisdom of the Divine Mother to heart 
and to bring it into our lives and into the world. Thank you. And I'll close the chant, and if you know the chant, please join me. Om Purnamadap Purnamidam Purnat Purnam Udachate Purnasya Purnamataya Purnameva Vishishate Om Shanti 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 Om Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From out of Brahman flows all that is. From Brahman flows all yet. Is Brahman still the same? Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.